This week on the My Love of Golf podcast, we talk to Daniel Marshall, self-proclaimed big chief at sports performance underwear brand Two Under Australia New Zealand. Daniel shares with us his journey from golf shop guy to professional athlete through to budding golf entrepreneur. It's a story that involves a shared passion for golf, friendship and family, and supporting one another in times of need. It's a story that involves Jared Lyle. And like all of us, if you love Jared Lyle, you love hearing anything about his story. So sit back, relax, enjoy Daniel's tale. And if you don't want to go out and buy a pair of two under underwear after this, you're crazy because they're bloody great. Get them on. Like us, subscribe, leave us some comments. Appreciate it. Bye. So welcome to this week's episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. I'm sitting here with Daniel Marshall, and uh, I might let Daniel explain his uh, title because it's a it's a cool one, I think. But um, welcome, Daniel. Thanks for joining us on the My Love of Golf podcast. You are here because uh, you love golf. Is that correct? Absolutely. Just- yeah, I certainly do. And and thank you very much for having me, Ross. And my title is a very, very interesting one. It's uh, so what is it? What's what's well, your, to- what's your title, mate? I'm luckily luckily enough to be in a position where I could create my own title. And I wanted to get to a stage where I was like, I'm going to do it my way. You know, I've sort of had the uh, unfortunate. Uh, experiences to work for some other people and do all these bits and pieces. And when I finally got my own company, I said, well, I'm going to do it my own way. So I've basically called myself the big chief. I'm the big chief um, of a company called Marshall with one L, um, which is based along the lines of your, your course, Marshall, marshalling your life and those bits and type, types of uh, people out there. Um, but I'm the big chief. I'm the big chief of Marshall life. Well, you are the first big chief that we've had on the My Love of Golf podcast. <laughs> I bet, I bet I am. Yes, <laughs> but um, hopefully not not the last. I, I, if, if there are any other big chiefs out there, you're more than welcome to jump on. Yes, let's chat. So, um, mate, you love your golf, but I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about you and you know your journey of how we get to. Um, the brand that you now uh, represent here in Australia, which you know is the Two Under brand, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But you know, I think I think there's a really interesting uh, story in your journey in golf, around golf, and why you love golf. And um, I think it, it's a, it'd be a great thing to hear about. So take us way back to whenever that was. You can tell us when that was. How did you start in the world of golf? Right. Well, I suppose I first started out um, in the typical Australian male fashion where we played every sport under the sun. If you went into the uh, the shed, you'd, you'd find your dad's golf clubs, you'd find your dad's cricket bi- uh, a bag with all the kits, you'd find football boots, you'd find absolutely every sporting equipment under the sun. And I suppose I, I sort of, I always grew up with golf clubs around me, but never really knew what they were. Football and basketball, I suppose, being quite tall was um, was my main focus. My sister actually started um, uh, dating a, a fellow Scotsman, actually, believe it or not. 
who we're, um, we're very passionate about our Scotsman <laughs> on this show. Don't worry. Who it's was great. A big, who was a very very big golfer at the time, and and he would bring this this golf bag, this big leather. It was actually a, a Ram bag used by uh, Tom Watson in the day, and he had a set of um, Honma Ryans in there. And I used to just look at this golf bag, and I was kind of. It was known that I wasn't allowed to sort of touch this golf bag and, and I didn't really know, know what it was, but I knew that it was important. I knew that there was something sitting sitting in there that was worth a lot of money. I built up the confidence one day to, to open up one of the, the pockets and I grabbed the ball out and the ball was the, uh, back in the day, we're talking 25 years ago, was the, the Titleist Tour Ballada ball. And I remember pinching it and just having a look at it and just looking at the script, the Titleist script, and just looking at this ball and thinking, wow, this is, it's not just a, a common ball that, you know, we all use. This is actually something a little bit different and something a little bit more powerful. Being Having an interest, I suppose, in, in arts and culture and, and graphic design, I just love the way the ball looked. And, and I suppose I, I almost fell in love with that whole idea straight there and then. Um, it was an idea of, uh, of equipment being a little bit higher than, than the normal. And again, I didn't really know it at the time. I just thought, wow, this is something, you know, uh, wonderful and something I'd like to get involved in. But as I said, I was, it was heavily involved in football and basketball at the time. So golf was sort of on the back burner a little bit. Um, going down the track a little bit from there, he actually offered me a, a part-time casual role over summer um, at a golf store where he was working, which was drum and golf down in Dandenong. And he needed someone to basically just uh, put some grips on some clubs, uh, organise the stock room, uh, take deliveries, uh, send some stock out, and just make sure the, the store was sort of generally looking good and uh, clean and all those sort of bits and pieces. And again, I, I didn't really know golf. I didn't know golf equipment. I knew the Titleist brand because that was something I just really had an interest in. But essentially where, again, where I fell in love with the whole concept of golf and golf equipment was that I was able to go and work out the back room. I had six sets of golf clubs that I either had to glue together or just re-grip, which could take, you know, two, three hours. I used to put on the local radio station and listen to some sort of wonderful music and just go about my working day. And I just absolutely loved it. I had this own little world at the back there that I just could do my own thing and I absolutely fell in love with it. To this day, and I had a similar uh, entry into the golf world many, many years ago, but to this day, surrounding myself with golf clubs, I still stop myself after picking up three or four golf clubs of different types and different brands. And it's just a daily thing that I do. Yeah. Pick them up, feel them, waggle them, feel the grip, just feel the golf club in my hand and just get that sense of what that particular club at that particular time of that particular brand feels like. And uh, I can I can picture it. You know. If, Obviously, it's the podcast, but um, what I'm looking at here is Daniel sitting here with the Titleist ball in his hand. So he's referencing the Titleist logo there. So when you came to when you started playing golf, did you use the Titleist Bellata? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, obviously, being you know 16, 17, and not having a lot of money, mm-hmm. the Titleist Bellata back then was oh, I think it was about eight or nine dollars a ball, <laughs> um, a little bit of a staff discount here or there, and I quickly learned that I was uh, nowhere near the, the, the quality of player to use the Titleist Ballada because essentially I was uh, cutting them up and basically chopping them in half in, you know, three or four holes and um, having to sort of go back and scrounge around for anything that I could use, that I could afford, obviously. Um, but again, that sort of led me to 
what the technology and equipment is, what it's doing, um, why you're using it, and how obviously you're using it. And I sort of then I started to learn my position in the game of golf, mm-hmm. um, and I had to obviously learn how to use the tour bladder, and, and it, it sort of led me to asking questions and talking to other people about what the tour bladder is, or or any of the other balls that were out there at, at that particular time, um, and find out what was going to suit me best and what I could afford, um, which again in those days wasn't a hell of a lot. Most of the time it was we, we were using secondhand balls or if we'd go down to a range, we'd, we'd pick up a few off the back of the range at a couple of tournaments that we went to, all got practice written all over them. Yes. But we really managed to sort of nick, you know, a dozen or so of those and they were, were our sort of cherished balls for hopefully the next couple of months while we were playing. So you started playing golf? Started playing golf, and again, I, I probably had a, a really good entrance into the game of golf um, with with this particular my brother in law. Essentially, um, he would take me down to the Junes. The Junes had just sort of started to, to open. He was a member at um, Amstel in Cranbourne, so I was straight away onto these magnificent golf courses. And again, I fell in love with the architecture of golf, um, not only the course but also the with the um, with the clubhouses and things like that. Um, and I, again, it led me to just have this really high appreciation of what the actual game is, you know, and what it can offer uh, people if, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. And I certainly was someone who was interested in looking at that way. So, you know, I had a really good, um, I suppose, uh, <laughs> lift into the game of golf. You know, my, my hand was held pretty well. So you're working in a golf retail environment, but then, then what happens after that? You started playing golf. Where, where, where does the journey take you then? Well, I suppose golf for me was always something that I did on a day off or on my Sunday. Like, as I said, football and basketball were my two main focuses. So uh, at the time I was playing um, pretty high representative, uh, I suppose, clubs in both. I was playing um, in the TAC Cup for Dandenong mm-hmm. at that particular time um, and going okay. Um, and I was also playing uh, state league basketball uh, at the time for Frankston um, and was invited to a couple of Victorian camps um, and at one point had to make a decision whether I go to the, the football camp or the uh, Victorian state camp and I chose football at that particular time. So golf for me really was just sort of a side thing and I actually used it as a bit of a recovery yeah. thing. You know, obviously football and uh, being a ruckman and a forward at the time, I'd have a lot of bumps and bruises, and I thought, well, I'll just go and have a walk around, hopefully walk out a little bit of soreness. Um, and I used it as, as that. I used it as my, my recovery, really, for those sports. Um, I was lucky enough to go through that under-18 system fairly unharmed. Um, and in the days that I was playing, which is the mid-90s, a lot of the AFL teams were playing two ruckmen. So they would play one in the in the ruck, obviously, and they'd rest one in the forward line or on the bench. So it meant you needed a tall defender. I couldn't get a game in the ruck in the uh, Dandenong team at the time, so they put me as a, as a defender. Never played defence before. And I actually played it quite well, and I ended up playing, I think it was maybe 10 to 12 games in the 95 season as a backman. Played really well. And I was lucky enough to be drafted to Carlton for the 96 season, 95, that obviously won the premiership. So it was a pretty good team. Um, and again, I just sort of was like a whisp away. And next thing I knew, here I was living in, in Carlton and um, and training with all of these uh, amazing players. And again, I was lucky enough to keep a casual position with drum and golf. So, so you went from playing you know, amateur footy essentially – um, at, albeit at a really high level, straight into the professional ranks. As how old were you then? I was seventeen. Seventeen. Seventeen when I was first drafted, turning eighteen the uh, the next year. So for those you know that know AFL, you know, will remember some of the names that you'll that you'll tell me about in that nineteen ninety six era. <laughs> I know them, but you can t- tell me who they were. 
we had some amazing players, and we're talking about Hall of Fame type players, um, you know, in the AFL. But you know, obviously for Carlton as well, you had Stephen Kernaghan was the captain, uh, Stephen Silvani, fullback mm-hmm. of the uh, the team of the century. Greg Williams was there at the time. Peter Dean was an amazing defender. Michael Sexton, um, Glenn Manton, who's an amazing guy in his own right. So I mean, as a defender, I was always going to struggle for a position there. Justin Madden was playing there at the time. Anthony Kudafidis and Christou, you know, so, so just amazing. Amazing players in in football, let alone you know Carlton history. What we do for those guys, or <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, did you? What did you learn from you know being around sportsmen and athletes and individuals? You know, I can only imagine all of a, a wide and varied personality types and traits. Absolutely. What, Look, what does that do when you're 17 and you're hanging out with guys like that on a you know, daily basis for you know, yeah. five, six, seven hours a day, six, five days, six days a week? Yep. Look, it's an amazing thing because you know, this is going into sort of my psyche and my personality. At the time, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. You know, I was essentially this uh, country boy, even though I was sort of sort of grew up around Frankston. But I was whispered away to this big league senior club, which essentially is just a, lo- it's just a football club. You've got, as you just said, you've got guys, personalities and all sorts of different characters there. They may, um, you know, have different uh, jobs themselves and a lot of them were were very, very keen golfers. But essentially it took me probably four, five, even six years later when I left the club to really realise what impact I had from those guys because I was, at the time I was just too young. You know, I I wasn't immature but I just sort of, I wasn't very worldly. I certainly wasn't sort of wide-eyed to what what the big leagues. And unfortunately, that would probably led to me not making it yeah. um, at that AFL level. I probably had the talent and the ability, but I, I didn't have the other side of it, which was probably you know the mental aptitude and, and you know the, the the maturity. There was a lot of guys who were sort of more mature um, mentally that 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 could have made it, but didn't have the ability side of things. And I certainly had the ability and the talent in loads, but I just couldn't put the two together until later on in my life. So, so many, it was an amazing thing. How many years in the system there? Two years. Yeah. Two years I, w- I was sort of there in and out, you know. Yeah. So I was there at 17 and I was gone at 19, you know. Was the exit out of that system, you know, as brutal as it seems uh, today? Or I think it was worse. Worse, right. I yeah. think it was worse. Yeah. And again, look, going in that era, Carlton had just won the, the premiership in 95. They had three very late draft picks if I can remember I think the first one was around about the high 30s if not 40s so they were their their idea was to draft the forward a midfielder and a back player but obviously a young player so the three of us that got drafted in that year were quite young Um, and we were project players so we weren't going into the senior team straight away we were sort of um, gifted the ability to maybe have one or two years to sort of develop in the reserves system and then go from there so um when, when uh, you know, my time sort of come, and, and I must admit I sort of knew that it, it might be going that way, uh, it was just simply called into a, a room with uh, with David Parker and a couple of others and just told that uh, they didn't think I had the, you know, the uh, ability to make it in the big league and, you know, you're off to sort of go and, go and do whatever you please and it was yeah, sort right. of like a handshake and a best of luck, you know. It was really a two yeah. or three-minute um, yep. interview and, and out the door. All right. So then... What happened after that? So you get the pat in the back. Thanks very much. So you... Uh... I jumped into Kingswood. Yep. <laughs> and I, I headed down south um, to my parents' place. We were, we were living down in Frankston at the time. And, and again, I drove down Beach Road. Yes. And I actually pulled over. Yes. And I just thought, what the hell has just happened? Yeah, right. You know, again, at the time, the words were coming at me and I, and I, I wasn't really hearing what was going on. Yeah. And I just kind of nodded my head and accepted everything and didn't... 
and again, I didn't have that maturity to kind of say, well, what about this? And could we have done that? Yep. And yep. what? A, I didn't have a manager at the time. Yep. Um, and again, I, I jumped in the Kingswood and I stopped at Beach Road at about Sandringham there. Um, got out of the car and took a couple of deep breaths and thought, wow, what am I going to do now? You know, I thought I was going to be an AFL footballer. Yeah. I thought I was going to earn, you know, lots of money and I was going to do this and I was going to do that. And um, got back in the car and just sort of thought about where I was at and, and what I was going to do. And I thought, okay, well, I love golf. Why don't I see if there's a career in in golf? Obviously, I'll still play football. Um, I knew there was teams around. There was VFL teams at the time. Frankston um, had a reasonable VFL team at the time. I thought, okay, well, I can go and play at Frankston. That That's fine. And again, I took it for granted. I thought, oh, this will be fine. I'll go back and I'll, I'll play at Frankston in the VFL and I'll be, you know, a great player and I'll maybe I'll get a job and, I'll, and everything will be fine. Yep. Um, and, and again, it probably took me a few years before I had the maturity to realise what I was actually thinking at that particular time. Um, but again, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit more detail, I had golf as always my little security blanket. Mm -hmm. I knew I had the casual work. I knew I had the two or three days that, that could obviously sustain me financially um, and I could, you know, pop on my little uniform and go and do my, my work and I was okay. Yep. So essentially that was my plan at the particular time. So then your career took a, a different tact that would appear from what we discussed earlier on to that. What 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 did you do then that allowed you then to incorporate golf into, you know, that part particular part of your career? Well, I suppose it took me a couple of years. You know, I, I essentially went from working casually to working full time uh, for Drum and Golf, um, and, and you know, as I as I sort of went along and as I grew and developed and you know started to experience different things, I sort of decided, well, you know, is there a bigger world out there for me, and uh, what can I do? And I, I dabbled in a little bit of um, you know corporate type work that I soon realised it wasn't for me, mm -hmm. uh, shirt and tie type stuff. And then I went, I came back to Drum and Golf. Um, where I became, you know, sort of assistant store manager and store manager again at a very young age, 22, 23, 24. Um, I was managing sort of the Frankston and Dandenong stores and I got to a stage, you know, where I was mid-20s and thought, okay, well, am I going to be a golf retailer for the rest of my life? I could see that at that particular time the stores were starting to become franchised mm -hmm. um, and I thought, you know, I didn't really have money in the bank and it wasn't really something that that was an option for me. Um and I've always my my mother has always been involved in in community work, so social work, um, community development, those sorts of things. And I thought, well, I've got a keen interest, and I've always done some volunteering type work. Um, this is something that I that I really would like to do. So I went and studied a um, well. First of all, it was a, was a certificate in community development, and then a diploma in social work. Um, and again, I got some casual work uh, working in the rehab and recreation space uh, for a company. And essentially, what my role was was to basically work with. Uh, there was fourteen people at the time who um, who had an acquired brain injury or an ABI, and 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 most of these people were were through drug and alcohol lifestyles and experiences mm. so they were they were sort of in their 30s to 40s um, the unfortunate position is that if you are injured in in those sort of uh, age groups there's really nowhere for you to go if your family can't look after you yeah. you're basically put in nursing homes and we had one one experience with a guy who was in the same nursing home as his own father and he saw his father actually pass away he obviously deteriorate and pass away for a guy that was um was in a wheelchair um, very intelligent 
guy who I've still got a, a good relationship with, um, that was very, very hard for him. And it led him to a lot of depression um, and essentially, you know, a lot of uh, withdrawal. Um, and he he went down the path of, of unfortunately, trying to end his life. Um, he managed to secure some poppy seeds that, that he liquefied and he tried to drink. Yeah. Um, and he says to me, unfortunately, I didn't die. <laughs> But that's, that gave him a brain injury. So that, at that particular time, he had a motorbike accident, which put him in the uh, the nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um, he did have a, a drug and alcohol background as well. Um, and then he, he had this uh, brain injury through this attempted overdose. So I, as soon as I started working there, and even though it was casual, I just knew that was for me. you know. And a lot of people said, oh, it must be so rewarding to work with these people. And I never looked at it that way. I yeah, never. Right. It was never about me. Yeah. It was never about what I'm getting out of work, working with these people. It's yeah. about how I can help these people. Yeah. You know, and um, and I fully entrenched myself in that industry for, for you know a good a good ten years. Um, where I was quite successful in that industry was using sports and in particular golf. So again, I always come back to to sort of my love of golf, and and we had some people who had golfing lifestyles. Some had played, some had dabbled, some had gone to the driving range. So I developed a program of essentially getting people out and playing golf. Um, so we got five or six, I think it was, initially we took them down to the driving range at Sandringham, and we just got them hitting balls. So, so, we're, so we're talking about golf as therapy. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, sports therapy, That's golf so therapy. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, look, when I went went in, into the, the particular um, company, it was a, an old church that had developed a, a, an area of land that had a sort of horseshoe-shaped um, facility built that had 14 separate individual units. And they were very cramped, one-bedroom, one-bathroom, kitchen-type um, type living areas, weren't uh, purpose-built. So people with wheelchairs were sort of knocking into walls here or there. But that led, unfortunately, to a lot of those people experiencing a lot of depression um, and, again, a lot of withdrawal, and they didn't want to get out and about. You know, They had these lifestyles where, yeah, they were the life of the party. They'd go out and they'd have wonderful friends and they'd be doing all, all of a sudden that was cut off for them. So my role almost had like an instant impact. And, again, I used any particular sports, whether it be golf or whether it just be going out walking, anything. But golf in particular, to get these people out, some of them hadn't played golf before. Some of them had, as I said before, a little bit of a um, little bit of history with it. But it just got them out of that environment. It actually said to them, well, we actually care about you and we want you to live a, a better life. We want you to experience something that's out there. It doesn't have to be golf, but golf just happened to be the medium at that particular time. Um, and it instantly put smiles on their faces. And again, for me, it was it just proved to me that, okay, golf can do this. Golf can be such a wonderful thing for everyone, yeah. whether you play it at a professional level or yeah. if you're if you, like myself, don't have a handicap, but just go out and play and enjoy the game of golf regardless of your ability, regardless of your talent, anything like that. What did, what did you see in the people that you know, had the, the brain injuries and, and the backgrounds that you were working with? What did you see when they started playing golf? You know, when they were at the driver range or when you when you took them out for a game. What did you see? What sort of changes? What? Yeah, it, look, it was absolutely amazing. I still remember it to this day. You just saw a different part of them. Yeah. Because people who have either a disability or, unfortunately, in our society, we we, we look at every every single person and we judge them instantly. But we judge people who are either in wheelchairs or have certain disabilities. Yeah. You, you think about them as being pigeonholed to a certain category, you don't think that they could stand up and hit a golf ball. For sure. 
And again, I, I think whether by design or by default, I had this mentality of like, well, let's see you stand up and swing a golf club. Yeah. You might not even hit the ball, but let's just see it. And luckily these people trusted me and they followed along and they went went for it. And as I said, most times these people didn't have experience or background in golf. They'd seen golf obviously because through the 80s and 90s with Norman and all these wonderful golfers, yeah. they'd always seen it on TV. So they knew what a golf swing actually looked like. Yeah. As soon as they made contact with that ball, there was an instant gratification. Yeah. It was amazing. And you had people that were not confined to wheelchairs but needed wheelchairs for certain mobility, but they could stand and they could do certain other things. But they were standing up and they were wanting to have a go because they see they could see that it was fun. They could see that it had a certain feedback for their bodies that they've never had before or that they'd never had in the last two, three, four years. Um, and I instantly knew that we were onto something. And as you just said, then it's golfers therapy. This is something. This is something that we could we can do, and we can we can um, refine and 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 take it to the next level. Now, in that industry, unfortunately, you've got certain things where you have case managers and funding, yeah, and, and yeah. you know, funding certain certainly very um, uh, sparse and, and and very hard to get a hold of. But there was times where I actually paid for buckets of balls myself where I put people in my car and the facility manager there at the, the time who I, I knew through some other avenues, um, she used her car. You yeah. know, she had a little Toyota Echo and we had three or four people in a wheelchair in the back of her Toyota Echo just to get to the golf range or just to get to the course where we could get out and play. Mate, that's um, it's really good stuff and, yeah, the world would be a better place if there was more people like you out there doing uh, – that now, yeah, you know, and there are plenty of good people out there working with different levels of community, and but I think the golfers therapy is uh, there's something in that, and you know, I don't know who, what, where, where, and how can make uh, that sort of concept come to rely, uh, you know, life, but I think there's something in it, and maybe someone might listen to this and listen to that <laughs> part of the story and go, you know what, we can do something with that. And, and, and if someone does listen to that and make a change, well, that's fantastic because we've done a good thing here today. Absolutely. And, you know, you did a great thing um, in doing that. So what about golf for you now currently? Yes, look, um, as I said, golf was always ingrained in my psyche and regardless of sort of what I, what I did and went off and, you know, tried to experience or, or you know, tried to get, uh, get a hold of, it was always just sitting there in the back of my mind. Um, so I always wanted to be back involved in golf and I, um, with my partner and I basically said, look, I've got to do something. Mm. I've got to, I've just, golf is, it's just taking up all of my time and my thoughts and you know what that's like. I've got to do something and I didn't know what it was. So I basically said to her, look, I want to go and just get some work in golf. That itch, that itch is, <laughs> is a, is a really powerful itch. It's yeah. a mighty itch. <laughs> absolutely is. So I said to her, look, I'm just going to try and get a hold of any old job that I possibly can, even if it's in a pro shop, if it's in you yep. know, greenskeeping, whatever. I have to be involved in golf. How long and, um, ago, how, when was this? How long oh, this ago? is probably going back about four years ago now. Yep. So um, the job came up um, with, the, with a cancel out in the eastern suburbs working in the golf, in the pro shop, essentially, yep. operations style at a, at a very busy public golf course. So I said... Uh, that's for me. I'm going to apply. Yeah. Didn't care what it paid. Yep. Um, didn't care what my hours were going to be. Went and applied. And, and luckily, because I had the experience, obviously, in golf retail, um, 
I, I got the job um, and and absolutely loved every minute of it. Yeah. And I loved it. It didn't pay well. Yeah. No. Um, at the time, my, my partner and I, um, we, we had a child. Um, so it was very difficult in terms of, you know, financially. But it was just something that I knew that it, that it would lead to something. I knew that it would take me somewhere. I knew that it would um, be able to give me an experience where I can, you know, leapfrog into something else. Um, I had a day off. And, and I remember this because this has obviously shaped uh, my future to where I am now. But I had a day off and I thought, and I was playing obviously quite regularly, but even going back to when I was playing uh, in my 20s, I always had uh, the strength and the fitness to just go out there and play and, and play at a reasonable level. I could hit the ball uh, a good distance, particularly uh, with my driver, but I never really thought about it. Yeah. You know, I just went, went teetered the ball up and off I went. Got to a stage where you know I clicked over sort of mid to, to late thirty, clicked over forty, and I wasn't playing the way I thought. Welcome to the club. <laughs> you know I'm not alone in that in that category. And I thought, well, what's what's happened here? You know, I had to literally, uh, I suppose, understand that my body's changing. I didn't have the strength that I used to. I'm not hitting the ball, you know, 250, 300 meters, even though that probably wasn't the case. Like uh, without even thinking about it. I had to actually appreciate the game of golf a little more. And again, this sort of led to this uh, this fascination with the golf swing and the art of golf and, and uh, so on and so forth. So the Victorian PGA was coming up. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this is, this is my opportunity. I'm going to take the day and I'm going to drive down there. I'm going to go and watch the pros. I know there won't be a lot of spectators. I'll be able to get up nice and close and see what they're doing, see how they're reading their yardages, see how they're reading greens, see how they're choosing their clubs. So I, I was a little bit cheeky actually. It was at Huntingdale. I drove up the uh, the driveway, and I saw a couple of people turn into the the members only and players only car park. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go and see if I can get a park here. Anyway, um, there must have been a pro or someone in front of me. It was a nice Mercedes, and I. I uh, <laughs> closely followed in behind and just got waved straight through by the attendant. I thought, this is great. This is my day. Anyway, I got a great park right by the uh, the door, went downstairs where they were selling the uh, the course guide books because, again, I wanted to understand how they were reading their yardages and, and what they were doing. So $25, I brought myself a little you know, caddy book, yardage yep. book, yep. walked up to the first tee, and who was standing on the first tee was Peter Lonard, Jared Lyle, Robert DiPio Di Domenico, and one of the uh, Huntingdale members, and I thought, well, this is me. I'll just I'll just watch these guys. Peter Lonard, a legend of Australian golf. Yep. Jared Lyle's just come off the PGA Tour. Yep. Uh, Dipper, five time. If you listen to him for, uh, <laughs> for for thirty seconds, he'll tell you he's yes. a five time Premiership player. Yes. Only kicked five goals. Um, I thought, well, this is what I'll do. I'll follow these guys. So anyway, I just kind of you know put my head down, got my little uh, little book out, and followed these guys along for you know three holes, four holes. Next thing I know, out of the corner of sort of my eye, I hear, hey, mate, I've met you before. And I turned around and Jared Lyle was coming over to me. They were walking back up to their to their bags and I just sort of happened to be standing in the way. And I, I said, oh, yeah, g'day, Jared. Daniel's my name. I met you at a couple of you know challenge charity days that, that he was involved in. Whether he knew me or not or yeah. he thought he knew me, oh, I don't know. But I, I said, oh, g'day, mate. And he shook my hand and I said, this is, you're in the middle of your round. You know, what's going on here? And I said, oh, well, good luck. You know, all the best. I'm just going to, you know, follow along and, and watch if that's sort of, if you know, if you don't mind. So you sort of, you know, have a look at what you're doing. He said, yeah, yeah, no worries. Anyway, so again, I was a bit blown away. I was like, well, why did Jared just make a bit of a, a beeline to me and say, hello, like, 
did he think I was someone else, you know, or what, what was it? It was obviously some sort of you know, fate or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, so I was obviously took a little bit more of a keen interest in what he was doing, and he got himself into a bunker. It was a part, long par three. I think it was maybe the fifth or sixth hole at, at Huntingdale. Um, got himself into a bunker. Lonard, Dipper, and the other fellow, and I apologise to him. I can't remember what his name was, but they were on the green and they were putting, so he was a little bit behind. Anyway, he got himself out of the bunker, and I said, Jared, look, get up on the green there, putt your ball out, I'll rake your bunker for you. He said, oh, mate, thanks, thanks, I'm, you know, I've got to catch up. So off he went, I raked his bunker, and I, and again, I stood in the bunker and just watched them putt and watched them, them read the greens. And then as we were walking along to the next hole, he sort of said, oh, thanks for that, mate. And I said, oh, look, no worries at all. And he was he was dragging his bag with a, you know, a trolley along. And I said, you don't have a caddy? He said, no, 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 I don't have a caddy. Like, um, this is, you know, not a PGA tournament for me. And I just said, well, look, if you want, I'll I'll push your trolley around. You've obviously got to, you know, concentrate on playing. Why don't you let me push your bag around and, and we'll go around? And originally he said, no, 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 that's, no, you don't have to do that. And I said, no, look, I wouldn't mind. If you don't mind, I'd like to see, you know, mm. how you, you're going through your bag and, and selecting your clubs and what you're doing. And I almost had to talk him into it. <laughs> he was sort of like, no, 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 you, you know, it's not, no, no trouble. Like, I can push my own bag. Um, anyway, Peter Lonard had his own caddy and, well, you know, Dipper's strong enough to push his own bag around. So I said, no, no, look, I'll do it, mate. Let's go. Let's, let's go and make a score. And he's like, okay, well, off we went. So I essentially became his uh, defaulted caddy straight away. And, and again, for me, it was, was to get a bit of a, an insight into how he was playing and what his mindset was, how he was playing so good, how he was choosing his clubs and, and you know, so on and so forth. So as we got walking around, we just started talking. He just started talking about, um, you know, what he was doing now, um, what he was doing with his business, which he was, which was Lyle Apparel at the time, and it was he had this two under brand, and he had this brand called Next Belt, and I thought, oh wow, that's that sounds great, mate. You know, like good on you. Mm. You know, I said, well, what's this? What what does what does this mean for your golf? You know, mm. you, you're going back to the states, and he said, no, no, I'm going to base myself here in Australia, and I'm going to concentrate on the apparel business, and I'm going to play a few tournaments here or there, might get my um, my teaching card. And go from there. I said, "Wow, you know, this is this is amazing. You know, you were you're a PGA Tour player. You know, obviously had some health issues. And what you know, at what stage in Jared's life in relation to you know his bouts with um, you know cancer was, was this? Was it in between? You know, so this was. So he was. He essentially was was um, was leukemia free at this particular time. He hadn't been diagnosed for the third time. Um, so at this stage, his health was really good. Yeah. You know. So it was after his second battle. Yeah. Um, he had a medical exemption on the PGA Tour the year before. He didn't quite make the money that yep. he needed to make. Yep. Um, so essentially, he had a card on the um, on the you know, secondary tour web, web. Com, yeah. on the web.com, which he which he played and, and won a few tournaments yeah. there as well. So yeah. you know, he he had a, a future in America. Yeah. You know, but he'd he'd made that decision to essentially base himself back in Australia for his family, for his wife, and for his his two young kids. Which, to, which, as I said before, it really blew me away. Mm. I thought, well, you've got a, like a huge opportunity. Okay, you've had some health battles. You're still relatively young. You know, I think he was only, um, you know, would have been 34, 35 at that stage. So yeah. he was still strong enough to compete on the on the PGA Tour. But he had made a decision to be with his family. Um, and again, to me, that just just blew me away. And he said, well, what about you? You know, you got a missus, you got a kids. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I do. You know, I've got a, a young daughter, two and a half. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, I've got a daughter. We just started chatting. Mm. This is mid-round. 
and it was amazing. And I was just thinking, well, well, this is maybe this is the way he he works his golf. He in between shots, he chats and does whatever. But when he gets to his shot, he concentrates. So, oh, okay, maybe this is how I can help him. You know, we can just chat and um, have a talk about. We talked about the challenge days where m- maybe he thought I, you know, we we uh, recognised each other from, and we had a bit of fun at, at, at those times playing at you know Yarra Yarra, and then getting on the the drink uh, in the uh, the gala <laughs> dinner afterwards. So, you know, at the end of that day, um, I think he shot an even even round. I, I believe it was an even round, or he wasn't that far away. Um, and he said, look, you know, I'm going to play again tomorrow. I said, look, Jared, if you want, I'll come back. You know, I actually, it was working the next day. I said, look, I didn't tell him this, but I said, look, I've got a day off. I'll come and, I'll come and caddy for you. I'd love to. And he said, that'd be fantastic because I've got to make the cut. I said, well, let's go. Meet you here. What time are you playing? He was playing um, in the mid round. I think he was starting about eleven o'clock. I said, "Look, I'll, he said, "Look, I'm playing at 11. Why don't you get here about ten two? I said, "Well, don't you warm up at about you know nine thirty, ten o'clock?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, but you get here at about ten two. It's like, "Oh, okay, that's weird." So anyway, I went off and I, I called in sick. Shouldn't say that, but I called in sick. Turned up at the course at ten o'clock, like all good caddies, and you know got my guidebook out and thought, "Okay, what can I do to help him prepare?" He was already on the range, um, hitting balls. I went over and said, "Hey, Jared, how you going? You know, how you feeling?" Yeah, good, mate, good, mate. I said, look, what do you want me to do today? Do you want me to just, you know, I'll carry the bag. I won't push it around. I'll carry it on my shoulder. Um, you know, do you want me to make sure I kept your, your water high, you know, <laughs> cold and keep any food, you know? Do you want me to give you any pep talks? And he's like, nah, just carry the bag and, and have fun. Enjoy enjoy the round. I said, oh, wow, okay, no worries. So anyway, um, off we went on that second round, and and again we just talked. We talked all sorts of things. We talked about our partners and our kids, and Dipper was uh, there again. So we were talking about um, you know football and football through the the 80s. And I'm a big Essendon fan, so mm-hmm. Essendon Hawthorne had big rivalries through the 80s. And if we got a word in with Dipper, it was uh, it was a miracle, and it was great to sort of listen to him as well. Um, and at the end of the round, he, he played really well. Unfortunately, he didn't score very well. I think he was one or two over, and he missed the cut by, I think it was just the one stroke. Um, and he was a little bit disappointed, but he, he, it was like to him, as ah, well, so be it. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, life goes on kind of thing. And again, to me, I just thought, wow, this is huge, because it wasn't a big money tournament, but I knew that there was a little bit of pride. It was Jared Lyle coming off the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. And I knew he you – know, I, I said, Jared, you know, you uh, – how are you feeling? Like, you know, was it me? Was it something <laughs> I did? You know, like he said, nah, nah, mate, I, I thought I played well. I just didn't putt well. And, you know, that's just the way it goes. And I said, oh, what's what's the future? What, what are you going to do now? And he said, oh, well, you know, I've got the business. I've got a couple of tournaments that I'll play in and I'm not sure. I said, oh, okay. And he goes, anyway, let's get a drink. And I said, all right. He goes, look, I've got to go and sign my card. I've got to go and do all that. I said, okay, well, look, I'll buy you a drink. I said, I'll get you, what do you want? A, did you want a beer or water? He said, oh, I'll have a, I'll have a Coke. <laughs> I said, okay. All right, no worries. Big fella he was. I thought, I'm not sure if you should be drinking all that sugar. But anyway, so I got him a Coke and I got myself a water and we sat on the lawn there at Huntingdale. And and, and as I said, it was a late round. So he finished, by the time we finished, it was about 4.30, coming up to 5 o'clock. Most of the the other fields had already finished um, and there wasn't many people around. So we just sat there. The sun was, was going down and... Again, we just chatted. We chatted about our um, our families again and about his business. And I said, well, I said, look, I'm sort of working, you know, in the space a little bit, uh, retail space. Um, I've had some experience in that in that area. You know, is there something I can do to help? 
you know, what is there something I can can do that's going to help you obviously get this business uh, up and running a little bit more? And he said, oh, look, you know, look, let's just see what happens. You know, if I can, if I can use you somewhere, yeah, yeah. you know, that'd be great. So that was sort of where the conversation ended. And about uh, maybe five or six weeks later, it was he was diagnosed again for that third time. Mm. So, um, and and this is the great thing about Jared and also his wife uh, Bryony is that they were very open and public with the battle. Yep. it was straight Absolutely. on Facebook. Yep. you know, and and I and when I first saw it, I just I just felt so deflated. Mm. You know, I was like, I've just had this wonderful experience with this guy yeah. you know finally i've got to caddy for you know yeah. a, a great golfer and as i said peter lonard was there as well and he had his caddy and we had a bit of a chat to peter and what he was doing and it was such a surreal moment i was like well why would this happen to such a great guy yeah he was such a great person and again he didn't have to come and say hello yeah. whether he meant to or not i don't know um he didn't have to accept me to to rake his bunker and push his bag along and he didn't have to sit down with me for you know it was what was close to a good hour and just chat yeah. he was asking me more questions about myself than than i was about him i think uh you know i, I didn't know jared lyle you know like Everyone, I followed his career and followed the journey and the story and, you know, what you learn about him in his passing is that he was exactly that. He was, yeah. you know, the yep. lad from Shepparton who just gave a damn about people and people around him yep. and wanted to give as much as he got. Absolutely. And, and he Absolutely. was really super conscious about that and that was the beautiful thing about Jared Lyle and, you know, obviously the reason why there was so such a big outpouring of emotion um, around him when he passed and it was fantastic to see you know like um you know the support that he got and the support that the family got and, yep. and the attention that you know his causes um received out of that you know a positive out of his passing was mm, absolutely. and there were numerous um yeah. but what a great man you know i listened to mark howard and the howie games and he did us yeah. uh, yep. uh, that interview with jared and and the, the part that will go to TV I think at some stage and mm. I listened to that with my wife and my wife didn't doesn't know Jared she doesn't know golf she doesn't yep. really have much time for for golf other than you know what it is to me and um, you know she was in tears yeah yep. we both were and, and my partner was exactly the same and again she probably knew that I'd come home and said guess what I just caddied for Jared Lyle so she's kind of knew this name yeah but she didn't really know you know who he was at that particular time or what the game of golf was and what he means to you know the game yep. of golf in Australia and obviously as 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 we went along she certainly developed that exactly the same thing yeah. she was in tears when when she first heard about it yeah um, the best thing that the, and look, we we learn from from everyone we meet and rub shoulders with. But Jared was just such an amazing and humble human being. Mm. But he knew he knew that people looked at him, and he knew that he had this certain uh, impact on whether it be young golfers yep. or just the general public or uh, other touring pros. You know, he just knew that he had an impact because of either the way he played golf or yes. just who he was. Yeah. And he was quite respectful for that. And that was something that I that I certainly picked up from him. On that Howie Games um, podcast, you know, they um, he played that video that was made for Jared and played to him when he was in hospital of yeah. all the PGA Tour guys. Um, and it was really cool. You know, mm. like just all the guys got together and got around him and, you know, Ernie Els was one that stuck, stuck out to me. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, just really showed what he meant, what he meant to that that community um, at that level, and uh, yeah. So, 
here what happened are. here we are <laughs> so look as soon as that um, that third diagnosis came out I, I flicked him a, a quick message that said look I'm so sorry to hear this mate but what what can I do yeah I said look, you're obviously up for a battle I said I'm here for you if you want me to you know do anything in particular let me know. I'm your caddy. And that was my line. I'm your caddy. I'm here to help you. And obviously, he's, you know, one of his good mates was his caddy in the States for a long time. But I said, I'm your caddy. What can I do? Um, he was coming up to Royal Melbourne for treatment, I think, in another couple of weeks' time. Um, and I live not far from there. So I said, look, if you need something, if you need someone to run around and maybe get you a coffee or whatever, again, if you need if you need your car parked, you know, I just said, yeah. look, whatever you need. And, and that was purely because of the impact that he had on me. Yeah. I'm here to help. Yeah. Um, so uh, we just sort of kept up a very casual dialect over the next, you know, sort of couple of weeks. Um, as I said, he was coming up for his treatment, shot him a message, how are you going, how did it all go? And, you know, he wouldn't, would, have, would never say, oh, you know, struggling, yeah. wasn't great, wasn't great news. Yeah. But he was, oh, you know, you know, what doctors, going through what uh, what they obviously had to say to him and, and he obviously had to, um, um, you know, dissect all of the news that he was getting and the, yeah. the plans and the treatments that they were about to go through. And and again, it wasn't till maybe another, oh, it was probably close to a couple of months that he actually said, you know, this is the two under business and the, the Lyle apparel business is probably a bit too much. It's going to be too much on both myself and, and his wife, Baroni. You know, we're going to put it up for sale. Mm. And I said, wow. I said, well, okay, this is, you know, this is actually something I'd love to do. It's yeah. something I'd love to get involved in. And as I said, we at the very, very start, you know, my interest in golf is probably from a a logo, design, mm. you know, I see golf as a bit more of an art form rather than just a game. And I was like, well, this is a really great business. You know, I think this is something that I might be in a position to, to have a look at. Number one, I'd love to help out Jared. Number two, it might be something that I could see my future in. So I said to him, okay, well, look, what can I do? I said, look, do you want me to just act as a bit of a, a sales rep? Do you want me to just go around and again, see if I can sell this product, see if I can get the word out there? And he said, no, no. He said, at this stage, we want to sell it. Yep. I was like, right, okay, okay. Well, and I, and I actually tried to talk him out of it. Hmm. I said, well, look, Jared, you know, this is, this is what you said to me. This is going to be your future in Australia. You sure you want to sell it? I said, how about I just look after it for you until you get back hmm. on the road and away you go? He said, yeah, I thought about that, but... It's just going to be too much for us. Yeah, I said, all right, send me through the figures. What can I do? Yeah, I'll take it on. Yeah, and it probably took me, you know, a good week to sort of make that decision. But I always knew in the back of my mind that that it was something that I wanted to take over. And, yeah. and again, it was something to continue what Jared and his wife Brony had started. Mm -hmm. But it was always obviously something that I could could do for myself. Yeah, you know, so it was almost like this this two fisted uh, this beast that I was was going to you know take on. Um, and still to this day, I, I do it with with essentially what what Jared's attitude and you know what he meant to a lot of people, and how he wanted to see this brand you know spread across the the golf landscape here in Australia. So that that will always sort of be in my psyche, um, is to continue on what what he means to a lot of people and and what he wanted for this brand. It's a really powerful story, mate. And um, you know, you would told me that maybe not not in the same uh in the same way and uh you know i'm certainly moved here listening to it and you know our journey together you, you know i i probably remember meeting you you know in my retail store <laughs> two or three years ago you know it was sometime after i took over and you know we'd have a chat or maybe maybe it was a late friday night i think you were think you so, know, yeah. on your way home back to port melbourne i think it was that's at the right time. at the time yeah and um and then i remember discussing the two under brand with you in store and we talked about that and um 
you know, we've kept in contact and you know, we get to the point now how here we're talking about it on, on a fledgling podcast <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm looking at two pairs of power shift in front of me. You can't see the pair that I've got on and they're the best <laughs> things that I've ever worn. Thank God. Talk to us about <laughs> the brand of Two Under. You know, it, it's a great story that how we've got here but let's talk about Two Under and what it is and, and what it does and, and, and the benefits of the product and, and just the brand. It's a brand that I don't think is widely known in Australia, um, probably more rightly yeah, known absolutely. in America, but what, yeah. it, what is Two Under? Well, look, essentially Two Under, and the Under is spelt U-N-D-R and it has a great logo. And again, like I was saying before with the Titleist logo, that's what first led me to the, the yeah. brand. You know, yeah. the packaging is, it looks like an old VHS tape. Yes. For those that can remember the VHS, you sort of uh, open it out and there's a, a nice pair of, of essentially underwear. Okay, so they're underwear, but they're designed for the active person. So it's a lifestyle type uh, performance pair of first layer uh, apparel. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, the two under story is is, is a brilliant one um, where, where it's concept. So it was designed by a guy by the name of Dave um, Williams, who is from Canada, and he's an avid golfer businessman he's had some some great success across a, a lot of platforms um, in North America and uh, I spoke to Dave and I said well what's this brand like tell me about it you know this is again when I was just just starting to talk to Jared about taking it over I, I put in a call to Dave and, and said well I said well how did you come up with the name two wonder I said you know for us we're down under mm. you've called it two wonder like Tell me about it. So Dave basically told me the story of, of how they come about it. And they, again, they were quite successful and they had the ability to um, to start a, a concept. They wanted to get into the golf retail market and the apparel market. They didn't know what they wanted to do. Um, so they basically sat down, Dave and his son, Joey, and they sat down and they said, okay, well, what can we come up with? So they said, well, okay, what does everyone need? And they said, oh, well, everyone, golfers, they love to buy things. We love shirts. We love pants. We love socks. We love hats. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but everyone does that. It's all been done before. And it will be done continuously. What does everyone wear? And they said, uh, someone said jocks. Yeah, everyone, well, they didn't say jocks. So I'm sure they said underwear over there in the States. They said, yeah, well, underwear, okay. Maybe we could come up with a pair of, of underwear that would be designed for the golfer. And they just basically boardroomed um, ideas on what they could come up with. And essentially they came to this 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 name of Two Wonder, obviously uh, a golf reference being Two Under the Card. And for us gents, uh, the majority of us are all Two Under in that regard as well. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially that's how it was born. Um, but they knew straight away that they couldn't just design a stock standard pair of underwear, underpants, jocks. They needed to, to have a little bit of, uh, of more, I suppose, um, you know, performance style in them. Um, they wanted, they had a, a, an idea of where they wanted the um, the avid golfer to wear them, but they also wanted the pro professional golfer to get use out of these. So, so the two styles that we have here in Australia are called swing shift and power shift. Mm -hmm. Swing shift is is designed for your everyday round of golf. You know, it's got an incorporation of cotton and a, and a, a fabric called modal. Modal is a very lightweight, uh, flexible, breathable fabric. Um, that again sort of molds to your to your to your to your shape to your legs and your bum and and those sorts of areas but it, but it also gives you that lightweight compression style mm. the other thing they decided to incorporate into the um, into the line um, was the Joey pouch and that's the little extra room at the front <laughs> for us gentlemen <laughs> everyone needs to go on and have a look 
obviously what the Joey Pouch is, but how do you describe it? It might be interesting listening to who well, you describe how, how what a Joey I describe Pouch it. Yeah, is. right. Well, essentially, it's just room for the for the twig and berry in the in the uh, in the front there. So when you pack your lunch, you've got when a place. You you, you've got a place yes, to pack. Absolutely, absolutely. And I must admit. When I played football and golf and, and any other sport that I uh, that I went with, I was the worst fidgeter with my underwear. Yeah, you right. know, I yep. was always you know your, your, your standard sort of uh, brand wearer. Um, and then I sort of got into you know when the skin started coming out, I used to wear those, but I never liked them. No, I've got. I, a, I'm the same. Never liked them. But my my thighs are big and I've got a big bum, so for for any underwear on me would always pull at the front. Yeah. So I end up being a little bit squashed at the front. I never liked that. Yeah. So I was always fidgeting and moving and, and wincing about when I was, you know, again, in the middle of playing football or in my golf. And everyone used to say, always say, well, stop playing with your, your bloody underwear. As <laughs> soon as I put a pair of these on, I just went, well, this is what I've yeah. always been wanting. Now, this is great. It, it does everything I want. It fits the, the bigger legs in my bum, yep. but it also gives me the room in the front where I'm not squashed. Having said that, the Joey pouch is uh, is designed to give you a little bit of breathability, so it doesn't get hot down in those areas. Yep. Yep. Um, but it also gives you a bit of support as well. Yeah, uh, that's the swing shift model, and then the power shift probably takes it to a, the next level, where it gives you a little bit more of that compression without taking it to the full, um, you know, heavy duty compression wear. But it also uses materials where it's more breathable. So the power shift would be used for footballers, soccer players. We've yep. got some soccer players wearing them. Dave Williams, um, not the owner of Two Wonder, Dave Williams over in uh, in Wellington at the moment. He, he's wearing them and he loves them um, because they give him the ability to sort of have that lighter weight compression but also be breathable. Okay, so um, so essentially that's the, the tech talk on what they do. We can go into that a bit more, but I think that's all people really want to hear. Willow, good, <laughs> Willow, good call on the on the uh, two under. I remember seeing your post there, and uh, <laughs> that's and right. I commented cheekily, and and you said, mate, you've got to get get around them, and uh, and that's exactly what we did. So, uh, Willow, I'll be coming to talk to you too, mate. Yes, so, we've got to get over there and see Willow play. Yeah, yes. we're going to take a trip. And look, I must we'll go off on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, and we're sitting in a boardroom now of uh, of a guy, a friend of mine, who's got an office. He's kindly lent that to to us here in the city. The reason where I, where I met Dave Williams is Dave, when he first came over here uh, and we were playing with Melbourne City, his partner worked for this company. Yes. He was the, she was the receptionist, Madeline. Um, so Madeline essentially used to sit out the front of the door where we're sitting right now and, and you know, obviously um, answer all the calls and let people in and, and organise all these um, all the people that work here. So that's essentially how I met Dave mm-hmm. and that's why, you know, the relationship started of the boardroom that we're sitting here today. I met Dave in my retail store and he was buying a, a golf club and uh, we had a chat and we hit it off and uh, had a little round of indoor golf together and and the last time I think I saw Dave was in Swan Street, Richmond on the way to a Melbourne City game. He was with Aaron Hughes who now plays for my favourite soccer team of all time, Heart of Midlothian. And he was kind enough uh, to stop with Aaron and have a chat to my son and my son's mate and my son was blown away. And uh, and the other kids were as well, and uh, and Willow is a champion bloke. He sure is, yeah. And just like we were talking about with Jared, you couldn't meet a more genuine and humble guy. Mm. Um, and look, look, all of us blokes have you know our aspects of uh, of fun and all of those sorts of things. And and both Jared and, and Dave as well just have it sort of in abundance. Yeah, you know, yep. they're great fun guys, always smiling. 
Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that Dave came into my life. I was lucky enough to go along to their engagement party. I didn't get a gig yeah. to the uh, the wedding, unfortunately. Dave, if you're listening, probably <laughs> wasn't um, you know quite well known to Dave at that particular time. But they had a great great time up in North Queensland. Um, but yeah, Dave is just just a wonderful guy. It's really great to see him playing well and, and up and about and back in the A League. Back which in is A League, I was wrapped when he when he got the gig back at uh, Wellington. But mm. I'd I'd love to chat to him about his time in Hungary. You know that oh, yeah. that's fascinating. You know yeah. following some of that journey and the and the big uh, royal family member that he played for played yeah, with and goals right. there and uh, all of that sort of stuff so we might get the chance to talk to Willow one day but um, so two under how's it going it's going fantastically well we um Again, we sat down around the boardroom and we said, um, how are we going to do this? And when I say we, um, I essentially took it on myself, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm certainly under no illusions that it was something that I could do all on my own. So I started to think, okay, well, what's, what's the first thing you do when you take over a business? Well, you need a website. Christ, I wouldn't know the first thing about <laughs> starting a website or how to get one up and running. Uh, a cousin of mine... Um, who I'm very close with and again who's a golfer and a footballer and he's mm-hmm. you know been around the world and had um, some great experiences well, he is a graphic designer um, and he has his own company and I thought well this is brilliant we're going to make this a family company yep. he can come on board and be involved and um, basically be the chief chief creative officer and design our website and do all these sorts of things it'll bring us closer together um, and you know along we'll, we'll go and roses will, will, will pop up and, and everything will be fine so essentially we did that so Ryan um, Marshall is the uh, the other side of the business. He does all the websites and the creative and the posts and all those uh, bits and pieces. Um, an extremely busy man himself. So we sat down and said, "Well, how are we going to do this?" And we 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 took off like like one of your uh, Ferraris, and yeah, you know, we were 100 miles an hour on what we were going to do. We were going to take over Australia in you know three weeks. It, yeah. was, it was amazing, and it was a great um, time to just dump all of our ideas and our aspirations for the brand, but. After a little while, you sort of sit back in your chair and you deep breathe and you go, well, it's not attainable to do all this straight away. Let's actually step back and put a bit of a plan together. So we've decided to sort of spend three to four months um, and realistically probably six months just building the uh, awareness of the brand online uh, through all the the usual socials Um, and then obviously trying to talk to a few different people. So, you know, Dave is obviously one that we've – that we've got wearing the, the shorts and he obviously loves them. He uh, actually has paid for them himself, so yeah. I can't say that um, we've paid him for his comments. Uh, and there's been some other guys in the in the golfing landscape, uh, you know, who are golf reviewers that we've sent out pairs to and say, hey, try these, let us know what you think, if you like them, throw up a post on your um, on your socials and, and we'll go from there. So we're just getting to the sort of the, the six-month stage now um, and now's the time where we've sort of built up enough traction and we've made some online sales that we're going to start to sort of open up to the retail market. Yep. Um, and once again, we, we're going to be quite selective with the, uh, the, the partners that we do form. Mm. Um, you know, obviously a bigger retail type shops um, and on course, you know, shops is, yep. is where we want to uh, focus the brand going forward. I'm, I'm right in saying that, you know, my perception of the product in every way, shape and form from packaging through to the fit, the feel, the comfort, it's very premium. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, it's not a, a, a standard pair of underwear. No. You know, it's 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 not something that you're going to go and buy at, uh, at any old store and just throw on. And, and again, like, 
It's for the person that takes pride in their performance, yeah. you know, and you, you sort of, if you look at our social stuff, we talk about high performance and performance in your pants and it's mm -hmm. all about performance. And I mean, look, you have a shower, you tear yourself off, what's the first thing you do? You're going to put on a pair of underwear. And if you put on the right pair of underwear that feel good, mm -hmm. and for me, when I put on particularly the power shift that I wore playing at Metropolitan, I thought I'd pluck that, play at Metropolitan on, <laughs> on, uh, on Monday because I knew it was going to be quite hot. I thought, well, I'll wear the power shift because if I do get hot, these are going to breathe a little bit better and, um, you know, I'm going to have a better game. As soon as I put them on, I knew I was ready to go. I ironed a shirt. I had a lovely pair of uh, MJ Bale pants that I thought I'd wear, lovely pair of socks, a brand new pair of golf shoes, and off I went. I felt good straight away. And you, you and I have played golf, and, and the first time Ross and I played golf, I had a nine on the first hole. But nine was probably was probably quite um, generous. It might have even <laughs> been more. Had a nine on the on the on the first hole, but um, when I played on Monday, I actually played really well because I was in a great headspace from the start. Yeah, playing at Metropolitan, great course. I felt good. Yeah. I was wearing a pair of my own, uh, you know, brand. And not say my own. It's obviously uh, the, the building that, that Lyle did as well. But I just felt really good. So I knew that my performance was intact. I knew that everything was in the line. All I had to do now was go out and swing the club and hit the ball. Um, and, and like I said before, I don't have a handicap and, I'm, and I will build towards getting a handicap. I just love being out there and playing the game. But I also love feeling good. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I also love just being out there. I love the architecture of golf. I love the trees. I love the nature, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes I get a little bit carried away with that and forget about actually playing the game. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, once again, that's what Two Wonder offers to people. Yeah. It offers that, uh, that first layer performance. You put these on and you're ready to go for anything. If my performance is anything to go by, I can't, <laughs> oh, this, this is what it was. So, you know, it's been maybe three or four weeks that I've, you know, had the product. 38 points the first round, 41 points the second round, 36 points in the in the Howling Gale the next round, yep. and uh, 37 points the round after that. That's off a many-month streak of struggling to break 30 points. Mm. And, uh, you know, if there's a correlation there, the only thing that changed in the dynamic of those <laughs> four rounds were the underwear. So there you go. Speaks for itself. <laughs> there must be something in that. I live in a, a street here in Brunswick, and I've become friends with a um, with a Japanese chef who actually has a restaurant not far from where we're sitting right now. And and I see him um, up at Yarra Bend playing, and I, I said, look, I've got to give you a pair of these. I want you to try and see what you, see what you think. What's his name? Uh, his first name is Yoshi. I won't tell you his last name and I know where him. he works. I know. You know, I think we've talked, talked yeah, about Yoshi. Oh, right. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he has a restaurant. He also has a bar down here as well. I said, I want you to yeah. wear these and just, just let me know what you think. Um, anyway, so I, I bumped into him again. And like I was talking about with my experience with um, back in my old job with people swinging a golf club for the first time, he came over from his place, which is a couple of doors down from mine, with this big grin on his face. <laughs> And I said, hey, Yoshi, how are you? Yeah. And he said, I love those underwear. <laughs> he said, I had 40 points. I said, well, there you go. I said, whether it's the underwear, well, there's obviously a performance aspect to the underwear, but again, golf and any other physical uh, activity comes down to a lot of your mentality. And if your mentality is right from the start, well, your performance is obviously going to take care of itself. And Yoshi just knew that he's put these underwear on and, and, and obviously off he goes. He's had a great time and, and played a great round of golf. 
which obviously means that he enjoys his game of golf and he's going to stay involved and keep doing it. So from us, that's that's a huge, um, I suppose, aspect of what the brand can offer people. You know, if you're going to enjoy the game of golf, which is what we all want to do, Absolutely. well, hopefully we're adding to that somehow. So, mate, that's great. What are we going to be able to do? Tell us, uh, for listeners of the podcast or for people who come on the podcast, maybe, um, in relation to uh, two under. In terms of a um, how we get the word out there, yeah. what I want to do with with the brand, I want every golfer in Australia wearing a pair of these. Yeah. So essentially, we've partnered up with um, well, a couple of charities. The first charity is uh, again is um, is a continuation of what Jared and Bryony were doing with Challenge. So every pair of two under that we sell. A dollar will be donated straight to Challenge. Mm. Now that's whether we sell it straight from our online shop or we sell it to a retailer, we sell it to you know wherever. So a dollar will always go to um, to Challenge on behalf of yeah our company Marshall. Yep. But essentially, I've always got in the back of my mind is what Jared and Bryony wanted to do. Mm. They want to, and they will continue it in, in their own um, way. But we want to support. Uh, a charity that that really look, obviously looked after Jared, and even in you know the, the last sort of this year, he was uh, well looked after by Dave and the team down there at Challenge. So we want to continue on that work and the work that they do with with all the kids who unfortunately go for, go through this um, this time in their lives. And there's a, another charity that we're looking to that I that I won't mention just yet, but yeah. that'll come down to men's health um, and supporting, again, just the issues that pop up with us men, unfortunately, in our time. But they're issues that we just have to look at. And I say we, and look, I've been lucky enough that I haven't been affected by any of these sorts of things, but I say we as a whole, as a, as a community. So um, that's another thing that the brand can offer um, and that we'll be involved with shortly. So for listeners on the podcast, if you want to go to our website, which is www. Can I plug this? Yeah, of course, absolutely. www.marshall with one l m a r s h a l dot life. Um, have a look on there. Uh, if you want to make a purchase, we'll we'll put a code word up, um, and the code word uh, will be. I haven't even thought about it. This is on the fly, mate. We might use the um, the name of the podcast. Shall we do that? M M L O G. M-L-O-G? My love of gold. That sounds fantastic. M-L-O-G. M-L-O-G. So I'll do it like a social post so uh, people can have a look at this um, and look at the uh, the offer. And again, um, when you check out online, you can use that code word and you get yourself a 30% discount. Fantastic. All right. And again, every pair that is purchased, a dollar will go to Challenge um, and our other charity partner. Um, and again, we just spread this 200 word across Australia. Mate, that's sensational. It's a it's a ripping thing uh, to do for us and to help me. Uh, I am new in this journey, as you know, and your support to me through doing this and giving you some time and your story is fantastic. And you know, if it helps get some traction for you and helps get some traction for me, you know, it's a great thing to be doing to help each other. And, and I really appreciate your time. But unless there's anything else that you that you want to talk about. We could talk all we afternoon, could, we really, could. couldn't we? Yeah. I certainly could. Yeah. We could talk about we, um, we could different talk, things. But... We, we could talk all afternoon. <laughs> but, I, but I think super in- interesting to hear your background in and how you love golf and how you came into the golf world. You know, your time you know, as a professional sportsman and the influence that, that had over you and you know, moving into that um, social working side of space and incorporating golf, super powerful, super interesting. And then, of course, you know, the, the real uh, powerful 
part of you know working with Jared Lyle, getting to know him, you know, that behind the curtain look, which you know has really come to the fore in his in his you know the sad story of his passing. But um, you know, you're doing a bit to help you know his work live on, and that's a great thing. The brand's great, the product's fantastic, guys. Daniel, appreciate your time. Thank you, mate. Thank mate. you so much for having me. It's just been wonderful to sit here and talk to you. And look, we talked a little bit more about myself than I probably wanted to, mate. but to talk golf is just, um, you know, obviously it's a passion of both of ours. So um, I'm, I'm honoured to be able to come and do that. No, thank you very much. And next time, I don't want to see a nine on the first hole. Okay? Yes, either do I. I'll work no, on that. And we, and we won't, mate. <laughs> we won't. Fantastic. All right, mate. Thank you very much. I'll see you next time, guys. Bye-bye.